0: Good afternoon, and welcome to the business community on Callan FM. With me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. And this week in the news, we learned that Facebook dropped the data privacy ball again. It was reported that 400 million phone numbers, names, and genders were found on an online server that wasn't password protected. Oops. Again, Facebook. And Marks & Spencer has been relegated from the FTSE 100 index of Britain's biggest listed companies. It's the first time the retailer has not been in the, the FTSE 100 since the index was launched in 1984. And in a week of political shenanigans shall we say we were fortunate that the Wrexham MP Ian Lucas was available before it all blew up to uh, not literally I'm not talking oh. Guy Fawkes <laughs> before all of the political shenanigans happened to record and interview us with us we steered clear of the goings-on in parliament and we focused instead on the business landscape in Wrexham and the surrounding areas
1: So this afternoon, we're joined by Ian Lucas, MP, who is the MP for Wrexham. Thank you very much for joining us, Ian. My pleasure. How are you today?
2: I'm very well, thank you.
1: Excellent, excellent. It's fantastic for us to have you here. We're going to interrogate you um, and find out your thoughts on business in and around the Wrexham area. Um, But to start with, it would be handy just to get a little bit of a handle of your background and your career prior to becoming an MP and and. Kind of why you're sitting here today talking to us I guess
2: well, I've been a member of Parliament for 18 years now representing Wrexham very proud of that. Uh, before then I-, I was a solicitor so I'm a lawyer by background and I ran my own business for four years before 2001 when I was first elected, working running my own practice in Oswestry Street just down the road in Shropshire, employing 10, 11, 12 people during that period. It was an incredibly important period in my life actually. It was a wonderful experience to run my own business, which was not something I had ever envisaged when I was at school or, or when, I, when I, even when I was at university. But I learned in that period about how you n- need to make enough money to pay everybody in the business and, and that the the person who owns the business is the last person to be paid at the end of the month. Yeah and all the worries that can sometimes bring. And that was a great discipline for me uh, in my future career because I was in Parliament for a number of years, but then in 2009 was very pleased to be appointed the Minister for Business and Regulatory Reform under Peter Mandelson in the uh, then, then Department of Business Innovation and Skills, where I was responsible for manufacturing, including aerospace, automotive, but also the insolvency service, the company's house and so on. So I had quite a, a wide remit. It was a fascinating period, a really challenging period because it was on the back of the, the world e- economic crisis and I was responsible for, bus- for business initiatives like the Scrappage Scheme, which people will remember, uh, which was the UK res- uh, government's response to a crisis, in, in, particularly in the automotive sector at that time. But my business background was really important. I think especially for a labor business minister. Yep. The first thing I used to say to business audiences was that I used to run my own business. I've got the experience of being the last person paid at the end of the month. And I think that, that puts you, gets your little foot in the door. And And I very much enjoyed that, that job. I'd love to do it again. Uh, it was ended because of the 2010 general election, so I wasn't actually sacked or or anything like that. It it was because there was a change of government. And uh, in the last couple of years, I've been particularly involved in uh, exploring digital uh, initiatives. I've been involved in the Digital Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee, which has been doing a lot of work related to, to data. And one of the very interesting aspects of an MP's job is that sometimes you discover who... Areas of work that you haven 't particularly focused on before in your life you probably but,
1: didn't even know about them
2: well I certainly didn't know mm. i it's been a real education in terms of the scale and importance of the digital sector for me and particularly issues relating to use of data and issues relating to facebook which which are a big part of my present workload um, so i 've got a very uh, long standing interest in, in the economy and in business matters generally. I also represent a very important manufacturing area, but also wider than that, business area. It's very interesting how many new digital companies there are in, in our area. We tend to think of ourselves as being a traditional manufacturing area. What's become clear to me uh, since I've been elected is that increasingly the economy here is diversifying. We've got a lot of smaller businesses, uh, self-grown businesses, many of which are are working in the media and digital spheres and in the information spheres. And so there's an awful lot happening economically and in the business uh, sphere in this area. Callan FM on 105 FM.
1: We were talking last week, Tracy and I were talking last week about um, startups in Wales and how they are, um, we're on the back foot um, compared to the rest of the UK. But then that we've got a lot of life science companies in the area, mm-hmm. um, not necessarily the large pharmaceuticals, but precision um, uh, equipment and precision machinery. Uh, when you're out and about engaging with business owners, uh, what, what are you finding out there? What's the climate like um, amongst, I, I suppose it's difficult to make a, a broad statement across all of the different sectors, but what's the climate like when you're out and about?
2: I, I think it's mixed. I think that there are, there are difficulties in town centres. We all know that there are too many uh, empty shops, particularly in town centres, in all sorts of urban areas uh, right across the country, but that includes Wrexham as well. But I do see that our industrial estate, our technology parks in Wrexham itself and in, in the wider North East Wales area are extremely busy. And we have... The whole range of, of businesses, from massive multinationals like Airbus, obviously Toyota, uh, JCB, in, in our area, which kind of provide a bedrock to the local economy, and are the more traditional industries. But what I really do see is a lot of individuals uh, starting their own types of business in all sort of eclectic areas. That, I've come across businesses recently dealing with virtual reality. Uh, this is in Wrexham itself. Using the new business hub in Wrexham Town Centre, which I think is becoming a very interesting mm. place for a, for a mix yeah. of of different types of businesses to meet with each other and see sometimes they've got co- common threads that they can work on together. I think that's been a really positive initiative, and I've worked very closely with them in in... in meeting some of the businesses and seeing the, the way that they can develop. So I think, I think in North East Wales there isn't a massive tradition of entrepreneurship uh, partic- a job was in the past and I think this applies to my own family. My father was working manufacturing for 40 odd years for the same company making cables and, and that was a job was something you did for somebody else. Nowadays I think a job is something quite often you do for yourself. More and more people are self-employed. Mm. People who don't really envisage themselves as being running a business people are running businesses because that that's what's happening. Mm. And that's the way that the economy is changing. That's happening a lot in Wrexham. There's a shift towards, particularly a lot of younger people uh, are, are starting their own businesses, exploring areas that they personally are interested in and, and are developing. I, I think probably just... One example that I'd provide, which I think is a fantastic example, in Wrexham, is Focus Wales, which is a music festival which I got very involved in for the first time, and this is a confession rather than a, a boast, uh, this year. It's a wonderful music festival that takes place for, for a uh, for a weekend, which is entirely home grown, has two North East Wales Young lads, they're probably in their 30s, so they're young lads for me, running it. And it's worldwide. You know, they have bands from Canada, from from Taiwan, who come to Wrexham for a weekend. There was a reception by the, the uh, Quebec government in Wrexham because they had Quebec bands here this year. And this is run by a local uh, business that is two young people in the media sector and it's representative of Wales, and it's a wonderful advertisement for Wrexham and for uh, Wales more broadly. And it's happening, and we don't know about it as much as we should. And, and you know, I, I see it as part of my, my role to shout out loud about what we do achieve locally. And that's in a sphere that we, we're not particularly known about. I do think Wrexham has got a, you know, it, it's got a particular um, culture, humour, and and musical also tradition, locally, that, the, uh, that uh, Focus Wales has, ex- has exploited and developed, so that's a, a, just a different type of business, and that's grown from people who have pursued an interest that they have, and developed it, and made a career out of it, and, and there are more people doing that now than I think there when, were when, when I started off 18 years ago.
0: On the subject of the festivals, I noticed there's a big poster in your office window, Wrexham, the festival town. Yes. And I think that's a, a really big thing at the moment is, as you said, the non-traditional business. There, There is entrepreneurship yep. in a very creative way happening in Wrexham, I think.
2: Absolutely. That, and that the festival town—it's it, an initiative, which is a volunt- voluntary initiative. It's not being done by the local authority. It's being done by each individual organisation. We've got, you know, we've got literary festivals, we've got music festivals. You know, one plug: I'm organising a, a choir festival at the end yeah, of the, September. There was
0: a little brass festival. That's
2: right. We had a little brass festival first, and that was because people came to us and said, "You're having a singing festival. Why don't you have a brass, brass festival?" And, and uh, we, we started that off on a small scale this year and we're going to do more. It's also a way of bringing people into Wrexham from outside. You know, it's it, this is bringing people to Wrexham from this, the Singing Streets Festival we've got choirs from across North Wales, from across the Wirral and Cheshire. And it brings people to Wrexham for the first time. And some people will have poor pre- uh, preconceptions of Wrexham that we need to set aside, you know, we've got a beautiful church, one of the most beautiful churches uh, y- you could see uh, anywhere really at, at our heart and-, and-, and it's got a great atmosphere when we've got that, that buzz going, so-, so there's a lot of festivals going on, huge numbers of uh, individual events that-, that are encouraging people to come locally and we have very positive stories to tell.
1: I live um, in Oswestry and uh, we have, along with a lot of small market towns, whether you're in England or Wales, this changing... role of the high street so our, my personal view is that the high street as we knew it has gone forever yeah but we're kind of going back to that whole um the high street is a place of festivals of markets of, of community yeah. of meeting and i think that that's something that starts certainly happening in oswestry and as you've just described, is happening in Wrexham.
0: Well, so it's a very different... The, the Wrexham Business Hub is in the centre of town, yeah. in, in an old retail unit. Um, and Tipaub is, is in the centre of town as well. And Techniquest is going there yes, as yes. well. So that's bringing a different sort of heart to, yes. the, to the town centre.
2: And I also think, I think one of the key things is to bring young people into the town centre during the day. And I think sometimes it, it's very difficult with some shops to appeal to younger people because we've got the development of online uh, shopping and so on and uh, uh, you know my daughter buys things in places I you know I didn't don't even know exist but they're somewhere in the cybersphere and and those those get delivered and and people think about town centers differently now we've got to give everyone a reason to come into the town center it might be food it might be music it might be pottery jewelry so things that are going to engage and be slightly off the wall and different to what they get online. And and I think that that's the way we have to think uh, distinctly and differently. And the most important thing is, is to get these properties somehow occupied. Yeah. You know, the, I think you're probably right about the, the town centre. I think the way that uh, we, it, when I was a child, my parents used to go shopping every Saturday morning yes, and get the bus into town yeah. and... and Uh, I think that 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 world has changed. We've got to give people another reason for getting the bus into town.
0: A different proposition. A few weeks ago, we were talking, might even be months now actually, we were talking about the the way that IKEA is um, getting involved in the high Mm. street, and Mm. their idea is that they've created a number of different concept shops. One of them is you just go there to try the furniture, but you don't buy it there. Mm-hmm. So it's a way a mm-hmm. showroom. And another one is they were com- creating a community space, weren't they? And, and actually having it as a, a meeting space, a community space that IKEA themselves were, were, were actually facilitating. So, you know, those sorts of ideas, if the likes of IKEA are onto it, then hopefully we, we'll all catch I up. I
2: think and so, there. and I think there'll be, a, you know, a, a, a knock-on effect. I think T-Power in Wrexham, The art, I think, it needs more work, but the germ of the idea is a really good one. Uh, We need to provide a a a centre for people to be attracted to, for communal activities to happen uh, on a regular basis, give people a reason for you know going into into the town centre regularly, and also, what's what's extraordinary sometimes is that you know businesses sometimes seem slow to react to. To uh, being there, for example, in the evening, you know, stores are quite often shut in the evening when the, when some of the events are happening, which is when they should be open. And I think there needs to be a bit more uh, eclectic thinking from the from some of the businesses sometimes as well.
1: Mm, I think I mean that is a really interesting one because I think it's very difficult, isn't it? If you're running a business on a skeleton staff, because. Mm-hmm. Your profits have been, you know, slashed through all sorts of different factors, and then the idea that you stay open of an evening—it's like, crikey! You know, I got to yeah, live as well. Yeah, so it's yeah. it's a very fine balance.
2: Yeah. Callan FM on one hundred and five FM.
1: We're sitting here on a university campus. You've talked about young people and trying to draw them into the town centre. You've talked about startups, and we've talked about. Um, the skills that we have within the manufacturing and engineering businesses locally are you encountering anywhere um, within the local area where there is talk of a skills shortage or are we fairly well um, placed in there's definitely
2: definitely a skill shortage there's been a skill shortage throughout the time that I've been the member of parliament and I think that the demands of business change the whole time look just look at the transport transformation in business that has been uh, in the last 10 years and think of the the different skills that every business needs to have now and the challenge for places like the university we're sitting in and for further education colleges and for schools is to respond to the challenges that businesses have because everything is changing so fast mm-hmm. it's a massive challenge for schools isn't it as well as universities, it, to keep up and provide the businesses uh, that, that we want to see developing with sufficient skilled staff to enable them to do what they want to do. And I think that I cannot remember a time when businesses ever told me that they've been satisfied with the the applicants that they get for yeah. their business. And the, the, the real challenge, which is an obvious one, is how do we match the gaps that are in the labour market with the uh, with the individuals who are coming into the labour market. And that sounds quite straightforward when you put it like that, but it's a really difficult trick to pull off. And it's I think it's about integrating business and the education sector very, very closely, getting them to work together. And although... I used to run my own business. I know the pressures of of being in business, but if we can get business to engage with the education sector as closely as possible, and I I know this is particularly difficult for smaller businesses because of the the lack of time that they have, that's the way that we're going to actually solve this issue because we need to hear from business uh, at a time when everything is transforming very, very fast. What is it they need to have and how do we help you to provide the, the, the staff that you you need.
0: That's it, what one of the problems, isn't it, is the time lag, because what they need now, yeah. and you feed that into education, and then by the time you've got those skilled employees, the business world might have moved on, so it's a really tricky balance to achieve. Isn't it, it is, I
2: think it means, the one of the answers is providing people a very broad base of skill skills that they can refine themselves, and accepting that that education is continuous. That, that you will have a broad skill set to understand uh, the way that broadly businesses are, are operating, but then you will need to refine it and and uh, continue to learn throughout your your career in order to to. Uh, Keep up with with the demands of your employer.
1: Uh, I've bookmarked to watch a TED talk, which is titled "How to Prepare for a Career That Doesn't Yet Exist." Yeah, and I, that is the thing, isn't it? My husband, he's in his fifties. He does a job that absolutely didn't exist yeah. when we when he was going to university. It just wasn't even on the radar. And yeah, it's not where he set off, you know, where he was set off to. It's just where you end up. Yeah, but, um, it's it's a challenge.
2: Callan FM on one hundred and five FM.
1: Right, okay, what I'd like to just touch on now uh, before we let you go is anybody listening to this show now within your constituency who is running a business and all that goes with that, what can you what, what could you suggest to them that they can focus on that's positive in the area that we've got at the moment? Perhaps they should be focusing on what, something that they're not recognising as being a positive and anything that going forward they will be able to focus on notwithstanding all of the uncertainty that's, that we're experiencing at the moment?
2: I, I think that the first thing to say about our area is that it's, it's there are a lot of positive aspects in our area. You know, if you look over the last 20 to 30 years um, in, in the, this, this region, North East Wales, we've had some massive difficulties at different times. You think of the clo- closure of Brumbo Steelworks, the Schotton Steelworks, the real bedrock of the economy has gone, but we've been able to attract advanced manufacturing to the area to transform the local economy and keep a pretty high level of employment in our area. And we've got a lot of world beating companies. We've attracted a lot of inward investment through people like obviously Airbus, but also Toyota um, and, and JCB and so on. So, We've achieved a lot in terms of the economy transforming. I think we've also got a more diverse economy now uh, than, for example, when I was first elected 18 years ago. I think we've got businesses like, businesses like DTTC, which is uh, a, a business that is a, a U.S. investor, uh, employs over 500 people in, in Wrexham now, which is does things like corporate investigation in the digital sphere, uh, which is... Uh, hugely successful, we've got businesses like Moneypenny, and they are a business, a service business, again, world beating, all, both of which are um, Wrexham businesses not in the traditional manufacturing sphere, and then we've also got the smaller businesses starting off uh, through the business hub that, that we mentioned earlier in central Wrexham, uh, so we've got a quite diverse economy developing. I think one of the failings we've had in recent years in our economy's infrastructure I think we're getting a better digital infrastructure I know that this is a double-edged uh, uh, sword but Virgin Media have chosen to invest in Wrexham. you know I uh, took their chief executive to task in front of the select committee and we've therefore had a lot of private sector investment from Virgin Media in Wrexham digging up our streets. There being a few complaints about that but that's politics and, and, and they have invested. As a result I think OpenReach have improved the, the offering in terms of the, uh, the digital connectivity locally. So that aspect of of infrastructure is improving. That's
1: good competition, which good competition has
2: uh, has led to improvement. I think that the fact that Virgin have moved in has has meant that uh, Openreach have uh, have upped their game. We've got a big failing still on the uh, transport front at the moment. We've got real pressures of development, pressures of success on our roads and on our rail network. I think. Interestingly, there's beginning to be change on the rail network. We've now got a direct service to Liverpool for the first time since the 1970s. I think I'm finding personally that Transport for Wales is becoming much more responsive to, to me when I... Um, took them to task about running the Liverpool Chester service and how that should be a Liverpool Wrexham service, and ended up with a service, albeit only one a day at the moment. But we're going to work a on that. Bit early in the morning isn't a Bit that? early in the morning, but I'm sure that's the best part of the day, <laughs> as my dad always used to say. Um, but it, it's only one a day, but it's a start. And, and uh, we, you know, I've learned in my job, you just got to keep at things and keep nagging. I've also been looking at the, over the summer at the Chester Gateway project, which talks about three s- train services. Uh, an hour between Chester and Wrexham and I think that is if I was a business I'd be aware of that and I think we also have real prospects of change and development around the station for a transport hub coupled with the development of of the the cop at uh, Wrexham football ground I think in the next few years that is going to happen and there's a lot of pressure in that direction so I think that that will have a transformative effect on on the town, the relationship between the town centre and the, the transport connectivity that we have. I think that will d- then develop better connectivity both uh, to Liverpool through the Halton the Curve uh, approach but also up the Wirral. Uh, there are real plans for development of the wrexham Bidston line uh, so that we can contact Deeside Industrial Park and public transport with, with that spine network, which is the underdeveloped wrexham Bidston line. So I think there's a public transport possibilities by rail. We also, I think, need to think really hard about the uh, road network that we have because there's a huge amount of development going on uh, on both sides of the A55 at the moment. Um, you think of the scale of the development in Ply, uh, which is around four hundred houses at the present time, all feeding into the A four eight three and up to the A fifty five. But that pales into insignificance if you compare it to what's happening in Chester, where thirteen hundred houses being built, opposite the King's School Chester, again that'll feed into the same the, roundabout. The same roundabout. Yes. So there are real already precious a busy roundabout. Yeah. It's already a busy roundabout and I get complaints about that and 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 we need to really be imaginative I'm very interested in the transport network. I I chair the Mersey D uh, North Wales group, which which tries to deal with these uh, cross-border issues in in a constructive way. And I think the local authorities are beginning to work together better, but we need to really up our game. I think Ken Skates, the business business minister, the economy and transport minister, is from North East Wales. He understands the dynamics of our local economy. And I work very closely with him in trying to deal with these issues. He's been a real breath of fresh air in in terms of building a cross border link, and also understanding the North Wales position. Where you know we are one of the two real um, drivers of the Welsh economy, North East Wales and and then South East Wales in the area around Cardiff, Newport, and and we need to be punching our weight and making sure that. The infrastructure projects that I'm talking about, which really need to be there to support business and make sure that, that in a 21st century economy, things like digital are vital, and as, but we also need to not forget about the transport network. But I think we're going to have better links to both Manchester and Liverpool soon, and I think that that will really be another driver to our local economy.
1: Fantastic, Ian. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you have a website, I understand.
2: Absolutely, yes. Uh, which a Twitter is, feed as well.
1: Okay, all right. So where where will people can people engage with you on
2: at Ian Lucas is my Twitter feed. Yeah, uh, I've got a Facebook uh, page as well, and also the website. Or they anyone can email me on. Uh, Ian Lucas MP at parliament.uk and you can find me you can track me down on the parliamentary website so
1: we can stalk you we just goof you, could, you. you.
2: <laughs> lots of people do I'm afraid but <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh, one of the great things about my job as well just on business is that you can learn about other people's work and other people's jobs are really interesting so I, I very much enjoy going to businesses so if there's anybody particularly in Wrexham who, who wants me to visit their business I'd be delighted to do that
1: Fantastic. We'll put uh, a link to your contact details on our on our website, uh, which is thebusiness.community. Ian, thank you very much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Ian Lucas, MP, ladies and gentlemen.
0: You're listening to The Business Community on Calon FM. And my discovery this week is The One Minute Manager Meets the Monkey by Ken Blanchard. It was originally published in 1990 and I was given a copy of a version from 2004. Although, to be fair, it does look like it could be from the 1990s. It's one of those books that hasn't fared so well and the the pages are all yellowed. It's not tatty. Nobody's turned the corners. Nobody's written in it. It's just... It's been on a windowsill. Ah, that might explain it. Anyway, it's a book of ups and downs for me on the one hand... I like the narrative storytelling approach, and on the other, there are a few, shall we say, style issues that grated a little bit with me. So let's start with the positive. It's a story about a manager who is overwhelmed at work and a friend who has been in the same situation but turned it around. And he shares his learning from a seminar he attended by Bill Onken. Very quickly, the premise of the book is shared with the reader, and I found myself making notes and finding learnings for myself. And And also spotting people I recognised in it. And then it goes on in more detail about the rules. Onken's Rules of Monkey Management. Where the ideas are explained and examples are given. Now, one of the things, one of the style issues is um, this chapter. It made me laugh. A friend, uh, the friend, is essentially doing the four Yorkshiremen sketch from Monty Python in this chapter. Oh, God. (laughs) Where all the characters are are vying to outdo each other with their tales of woe from their childhood. So uh, I'll just give you a quick example in this section. He says, when I was young, if you wanted to play baseball, you had three problems. And he goes on to talk about using broken bats that he'd had to mend by hammering nails in and tape holding together. He says he didn't know when I was young, I didn't know that baseballs were white until I was nine because they all had tape around them and there weren't enough gloves to go around. And he finishes the section on on, um, talking about baseball still and struggling to get equipment. And he says, today, I know kids who have two or three gloves. And you know what? I couldn't help hearing that being said in a Yorkshire accent. <laughs> the whole of that chapter was just the Yorkshireman for me. And it, it left me cold. But I moved on from that. That that just one section was like, hmm, OK, let's move past. I've had a bit of a giggle. I actually went and Googled the Yorkshireman sketch and reminded myself of how good it is.
1: So <laughs> OK. It, it, <laughs> I, I'm sure
0: that Ken Blanchard didn't expect that. Yeah, no. Um, presumably not Um, and I'm not sure if anybody's ever reviewed it like that before so that'll be a first for me will it Um, and the other bit where he suggests shooting some of the monkeys I know it's a symbolic reference but it didn't quite work for me so I get that it's a metaphor but it felt quite awkward can we rehome the monkeys please (laughs) and even though it's a tiny book I feel like I got what I wanted from it after about 50 pages and the other 80 pages were shall we say a bonus um <laughs> <laughs> anyway, those niggles aside, I actually think it's a good little book. It's a quick read and I can recommend it for managers who want some insight into becoming effective supervisors and, and learning how to use their time and their energy. And here's Heather.
1: My discovery this week is one that will fill my husband's heart with joy because I spend a lot of time saying to him what is that? What does that mean? What are the implications of that? And it's about all sorts of things that might be occurring in the news or in the media. Um, But I've come across something we've all heard, I think, of The Economist magazine. Well, online, you can read theeconomist.com forward slash the-economist-explains. And it's basically a list where they explain what stuff is. So
0: in layman's terms?
1: Yeah, in a way that even I can understand. Even if it's something that is not, it could be political, it could be to do with business. Uh, For example, um, uh, what is white nationalism? What is a deep fake? Computers can generate convincing representations of events that never happened. And then, okay, so that's what it is. Right, so then there's an article on it. Um, What is proroguing? What is proroguing? Yeah. What is a tie break? What is Libra, the Facebook digital currency? Um, all sorts of things. Uh, who are the members of the Conservative Party? Um, I've got a concern here. What will you talk to your
0: husband about now? Oh, I don't know.
1: Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll just be getting him to pause the film to find out who... Is that the same person that... Is that the woman who was just with that guy? No. Um, so it, it's just really easy to understand it, it yeah I just i found it and I just thought this is what I've been waiting for all my life somebody just to explain stuff to me and yeah okay it's not all business centric but what it is is when you're out and about networking and I do an awful lot of that if somebody mentions something chances are I might have heard of it at least even if I you know so you can go oh yeah so when somebody says to you have you heard of X you quickly get your phone out and and go online well yeah even if you haven't read it you can go yeah oh yeah I think I saw an article about it I didn't read it so if somebody mentions deepfake I mean in conversation I'd be thinking I have no idea
0: what that is but (laughs) it's and if you want to know in more depth about what deepfake is where do they go they go
1: to www.economist.com forward slash the dash economist dash explains
0: You're listening to The Business Community on Calon FM and this week our profile is of Sir Tim Waterstone. He was born 30th of May 1939 and he's described on Wikipedia as a British businessman, author and philanthropist. And courtesy of his name, you'll probably know what business he was involved in. He was indeed the founder of Waterstones, the book-selling retail chain which is apparently the largest in Europe. And my first sort of experience of anything really to do with Tim Waterstone was when um, I listened to Desert Island Discs. uh, That was last month. And... It was fascinating. I, I I do love a good desert island. Disc, oh, do you? Yeah, I like. Yeah,
1: the pod, The great thing about the podcasted version is that a lot of the music has been edited out. So you only. Get, so if it is music that you don't really like and you just like the talky bits, you don't have to listen
0: to six minutes of Rack somebody man else's and off or choice. Something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Tim, Tim was very classical, and they were, they were all cut down quite short. But he came across as a very likable man with. Wow, what a story he had to tell. So he's the founder of the bookshop um, and he's the youngest of three children. And the stories he he he's told in Desert Island Discs and also in his autobiography sort of focus on his relationship with his father. Not good. Sexual abuse at, at prep school. Very not good. Um, the book club and uh, Miss Santoro, who inspired him, and then obviously the founding of Waterstones and everything that went on there. Um, Where where did you first come across the concept of uh, profiling Tim Waterstone? Well, I think that
1: I... um, I think I might have seen that he was going to be on Desert Island Discs, and it was a sort of name that was sort of floating around in my head. Um, But I realised that I knew... Absolutely nothing about him. I mean, I know
0: Waterstones Love the bookshop.
1: Yeah, yeah, but don't, but he could have been, it could have been 45, it could have been 103. I really, (laughs) I had no idea at all. And yet the name, you know, is on uh, virtually every high street around the country. Um, And he, I think the thing that is particularly interesting when you start to look into it, he founded Waterstones in 1982. After taking a six thousand pound redundancy payment from W. H. Smith, yes. now once upon a time, W. H. Smiths is where you would go to buy books if you weren't going to an independent bookseller, and he set up his first store in in the eighties. Smiths was the the book, place, the thing yeah, the place totally. To go. So he 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 obviously knew enough about Smiths um, to be able to decide that he he could. Um, Challenge them in terms of their their presence, I guess. Uh, he's, yeah, he set up a shop on Old Brompton Road in Kensington, and he basically decided that he wanted to create a bookshop that was the sort of bookshop that he wanted to go into. Uh, so it was done very much from a personal standpoint. Of course, now you go to Waterstones, there is something for everybody. Uh, but I just thought that that, you know, to go from 1982... One shop to um, this huge successful um, bookselling group, the largest in Europe, in 1992. That's a heck of a ten-year journey.
0: What I like is is how he sold it back to his former so sold it not back. He sold it to his former employer W. H. Smith in 1993, we, and then bought it back again.
1: Yeah. And, and then, then sold, sold it, it again, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which which is genius, absolute genius. Um, he also was involved in with HMV Media Group. So we remember the HMV shops, um, uh, which he he set up HMV Media Group in 1998, and he merged the two businesses together, um, and then left that group in 2001. So he clearly has an eye for the right time to exit a business and the right time to acquire a business or get involved with a business, Um, he he was involved with the early learning centre. You know, once you start looking at this guy who you you just think, okay, Waterstones, there's so much more to him. And yet, I mean, I haven't listened to the Desert Island Discs, but he comes across as totally non-pretentious, just a regular guy. A
0: guy who loves books as well. So the the story he he told on Desert Island Discs about this Miss Santorino and her bookshop in, in the village where he was growing up was, was that he didn't have any books in, in his home and he went to this book club and this um, woman who owned the bookshop, ordinarily quite fierce, would read to him and then when he was reading himself would actually guide him as to the sort of books that he should read and he said that he never paid for a book there. Lovely 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 that, you know she she inspired him can i just share something with you uh, something that i found which was the advert for his very first store he was advertising for staff and it ran in the evening standard 2 months before they opened their first store in 1982 the ad says required experienced booksellers for a new bookshop waterstones in old brompton road opening in september the first of many our object is to have the best literary bookshops in the land staffed by the best happiest literary booksellers
1: isn't that great and i would say that that's what he achieved because if you go into waterstones you and and you you know the number of times i've gone in my husband you know has quite a um quite a varied range of books that he's interested in sometimes it will be like okay can you get a book on this or my husband likes this author. What else might he like? And there's always somebody might not be the person that you're speaking to initially. They might say, oh, you need to speak to John because John knows all about that or the travel section or whatever.
0: And so they genuinely are. Yeah. And I love the recommendations they make as well. Not not just written on the bookshelves. Yeah. So um, a recent example, I was in Waterstones in Aberystwyth uh, doing my annual trip with my daughter in the middle of our holiday going right let's buy a load of books shall we and we got this little stack of books and this woman who works at the shop wandered up to us said oh if you like that why don't you try this one and and this oh this is re- oh I, I couldn't put this one down we, we came out with seven books in yeah the it's end. clever isn't it it's clever <laughs> but they were really good books yeah. and they were all sort of linked in she didn't just recommend something that she needed to sell she recommended something that actually fitted in the in the style of books that we were looking at. Yeah, because
1: you're never going to go back. If you've just been sold a load of stuff that you're just not even vaguely, it's not going to work for you, then you aren't going to go back, are you?
0: But interestingly enough, he doesn't just sell books. He's also written four novels as well. Yeah. And uh, published a semi-autobiographical book, um, Swimming Against the Stream. And a recent one published this year, um, his memoir, which is The Face Pressed Against the Window, which is pretty much what if you've read any of the interviews with him this year or listened to Desert Island Discs, he's essentially talking through the memoir in there. So um, you you can get a good feel for it from listening to Desert Island Discs. And I'm, I'm intrigued to go on and read some of the detail in there because he comes across as a very interesting man and one who absolutely adores his wife. Okay, so this is his third wife, uh, Rosie, and he met Rosie when she came in for a a job in one of the bookstores and he said he instantly fell in love, instant infatuation with Rosie. He's still married to her, but get this, on Desert Island Discs, you know you choose a book and you choose your favourite record and your luxury item... His luxury item was a photograph of his wife. Oh, oh bless! That's the correct.
1: That's the correct answer for any man Any man listening, or well, anybody really. You yes, th- make a note. Ma- yeah, yeah. <laughs> when it's you sell some a photo of your partner. Points. Is is yeah. You're going to get brownie points. But we'd be we'd be wrong if we were suggesting that it had all been a walk in the park because Waterstones themselves really fell upon hard times and they came, you, you know, within as the. Um, I don't know if he still is the chief exec, but um, Mr. Daunt, who, John or James Daunt, I think it is. Um, they were basically dead in a ditch, um, but they were able to chain James Daunt. Um, they were able to make a change about the way that they um, dealt with books. And it was particularly a Harry Potter book night that started to to change things. They had this really creative idea about where they turned part of the store into, and I'm not a Harry Potter, Potter fan, but it's Harry Potter and the Cursed Child and they transformed the second floor into Diagon Alley. I don't know what that is, but basically... I do. Do you? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, then people turned up dressed as wizards, you know, and it,
0: and that started. For, a, a, and it, if I understand correctly, the the way that managers are given, um, um, they're given space to create the store so that it works with the community. So I, I understand, um, I stand to be corrected. So do um, let us know, leave us a comment on our blog, the business community, that the managers can run it like a local bookstore. So they have that autonomy that they can make some tweaks, uh, yeah, and do it how they want to. I should also add, though, talking about local bookstores. Um, Lauren Laverne asked him on on uh, island Disc and Discs if he felt bad about the local shops that he'd put out of business by the success of Waterstones. And you know, he's not all cuddly. Fair dues to the guy. He yeah. Went well, no, not really. <laughs> I was doing something better. Yeah. And they went out of business because yeah, they couldn't compete. The public
1: vote with their feet, I suppose. That's, yeah. And he was doing it on the high street. You know, he's not an Amazon. He's, he, fair competition, isn't it, on the high street?
0: Anyway, have you got any quotes? I have. And it's not strictly business related, but it, it just sort of tug on my heartstrings a little bit. So um, he says, I think the book, the printed word on paper between two boards is the most fabulous consumer product. It's cheap, it's lovely. Everyone adores it. It's collectible, storable, transportable. It's a beautiful product.
1: That's very true. Uh, yeah, there is. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, we talk a lot about Kindles and apps and all sorts. We there also is, know
0: that if Heather buys the if actual If I buy hard the actual board, book. Yeah. yeah. I, then, uh, yeah. I, it, if she can it, touch it and carry it in her bag, you yeah. know, you've made it with yeah. Heather. Yeah. There you go. For all <laughs> budding authors out
1: there. Anyway, um, A quote that I found, which is about um, his views on leadership, and he said, I believe that the mindset that allows you to spend your working life thanking and congratulating people rather than being unpleasant to them is the mainstay of good leadership. And I've just, I've seen so many people who think they're leading by barking and, you know, saying, do this, do that, and this sort of directive approach. Actually, well done, thanks very much, you're amazing. It's, it's the carrot versus the stick, and that is very much the carrot methodology.
0: You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Tracy Jones. And me, Heather Noble. Join us again next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.